All right, joining us now, one of our favorites when it comes to the NBA, it's Andy Bailey, carving out a few moments for us. Andy, how you doing, man? Hey, Andy. I'm good. How are you guys? Very good. Very good. All right, so uh, trade deadlines in the rearview mirror. Kind of give us your evaluation of the Jazz and uh, what you think of Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck and the work they did on a couple of those trades. The, I, <laughs> I guess my hesitant, like, Obviously, you can see I'm struggling to come up with the words. They're one of the teams that confused me a little bit yesterday. Um, I thought, and maybe it's just because the offers weren't out there, I thought they'd be able to get better value for Kelly Olenek. I I was kind of surprised they had to attach Abaji to him to get a first-round pick back. Um, Maybe there's somebody in the 24 draft that they're just higher on than the consensus and they were really, you know, keen on getting that pick. And so that made it worthwhile for them. But that trade was kind of a head scratcher to me. And um, the Fontecchio one is, is maybe a little bit easier for me to wrap my head around. Um, as far as I can tell, I think, I think his name is Procida is the uh, other Italian player that they got the draft rights to could be sort of a similar um, wing who can shoot from Italy of, of all places. And he's, you know, seven or eight years younger than Fontecchio, so maybe you're just kind of turning the clock back on that. And and the second they got in that deal could be valuable too because it it should be early in the second round. Um, The other thing maybe they're doing is just kind of clearing the way for someone like Taylor Hendricks to maybe get some more minutes now that Kelly Olenek is gone. Um, So, I mean, there's – I think there's explanations for everything that they did yesterday. I just – that deadline was a little bit different than I anticipated – um, it was kind of weird from Kelly Olenek's perspective to me, too, because I assumed he'd be on a playoff team after yesterday, and that doesn't appear to be the case, at least not for this season. Hey, Andy, have you ever witnessed a team that has been so committed to hoarding picks over a two-year period of time? Is is this normal? Is it way abnormal? Because it it feels like the Jazz or a Badger just pulling in picks into their hole right now. I don't think it's abnormal. Um in fact, I you know I think in fairly recent history we have examples of teams that were maybe even a little more dramatic with it. The Oklahoma City Thunder, their trove of draft assets is just absurd. If you if you you know look that up on Google, all the stuff that they have incoming in the next several years is crazy. And the Philadelphia 76ers <clears throat> were big on this too during the process days. And I think it's generally a smart approach. Um, and again, I'm I'm not inside the discussions that the Jazz front office is having with with other teams around the league, but I just I thought they could have gotten something for Olenek individually, and maybe that just wasn't the case. Maybe when push came to shove, there weren't as many teams interested in him as I thought there would be. Um, but it's I, short answer is I don't think it's abnormal for Utah to be in sort of an aggressive asset accumulation mode. But they're also, I think, for two years in a row now, have been better than expected. So I, I think, you know, you could probably justify dialing that back a little bit uh, and being more of a buyer. A lot of people actually kind of expected them to be buyers yesterday. Um, so I guess they've got a bunch of different paths they could have gone down. It's just the ones that they found yesterday uh, took me by a little bit of a surprise. Let's uh... – how much dissent is there in Lakerland with uh, the Lakers unable to do anything and LeBron seemingly not pleased about it? 
I, it sounds to me like there's a decent amount. Um, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of media people connected to the team talking about, you, you mentioned that LeBron may be unhappy with it. And I, I can understand that. I mean, for, for most of the last 20 years, he has gotten his way on stuff like this. And for that not to happen has got to be a little bit of a surprise to him. Um, and I've seen a lot of, you know, Lakers media and, and fans think, well, even if we didn't want to expend our first and kind of keep our powder dry for the summer, we could have done something with second round picks. Um, you know, we should have done something, anything to improve the situation. Um, I, I generally think this was probably the wisest path for them. I, I don't think there was anybody available on the market this week who would have dramatically changed their fortunes. Um, they're going to be able to trade three first rounders in the summer as opposed to one right now. And so maybe they're able to go out and get a star. I think, you know, people are already whispering about Trey young potentially as, as a possibility for the Lakers. That would certainly be interesting. Donovan Mitchell has been mentioned as well, but I just, I don't think they'll have what they need to make that happen. Um, especially with the way he's been playing the last couple of weeks, I think he's going to be out of their price range. Um, but I, I think this was probably the wise way to go for LA. They'll probably get a buyout guy or two in the next couple of weeks who may add a win or two uh, over the course of the season. But I just, I don't, I don't think the Lakers are contenders. I don't think anything they could have done in the trade market this week would have made them contenders. Um, I, I certainly didn't think they were contenders in February of last year either. And they wound up in the Western conference finals. So I guess they could surprise me again. Um, but the drop-off on that roster beyond the top two guys is just so dramatic. And I, I, I actually think they were probably smart the way they handled the deadline. Well, the deadline goes without Golden State getting involved, at least not in any depth. And Steve Kerr kind of dug his feet in, too, and said, no, we've got the talent to get back in this thing. Are we just watching Golden State now in a slow death, Andy? I think so. Um <laughs> I think they have the talent to get into the plan. Like, you know, given what happened this week, I think Utah maybe takes a half step back without Olenek. I, I think he's been a pretty important part of the team um, over the last couple of years, and I wouldn't be surprised to see Golden State overtake them and, and sneak into the play-in tournament. Uh, I think there may be a game or two back of Utah right now, and Houston's going to, I think, be in the fight at least until the end of the season. Um, and between those three teams, I think given – you know, Golden State's history, it's it's not going too far out on a limb to suggest they'll end up in that top ten, but I don't I don't see them getting much further than that. Like even if they escape the play in tournament and they have to face the Clippers or the Nuggets or the Thunder or some team like that in the first round, I, this this just isn't the Warriors team of six or seven years ago. It's probably not a news flash to most outside observers. Um but it may be hard to grasp for certain guys within the organization. Maybe Steve Kerr. Um, we've we've heard some interesting comments from Clay Thompson over the last couple of weeks about how he sort of struggled with <laughs> um, getting to know his basketball mortality. They they have some good signs. Like Jonathan Kaminga has been fantastic for about a, a month now, and so maybe that changes their fortunes a little bit. Um, but they, like the Lakers, I, I think the rest of the West has just sort of passed them by at this point. What are your thoughts on uh, Oklahoma City as a, as a, essentially an NBA championship contender? 
Yeah, I think they are a contender. And I think, you know, the obvious caveat that everybody brings up is there's no playoff experience there, and, and really there isn't much, even after they added Gordon Hayward. Um, generally, historically in the NBA, groups have to take their lumps in the playoffs before they, you know, figure it out and, and go through that growing process. I think a good um, I think a good analog for this team is actually, I think it was the 2011-12 Thunder, who, you know, I, I don't know their history super well. I don't know how many playoff tests they had before that year, but I do remember thinking it was kind of a surprise that they made it to the finals that early with Durant and Westbrook and Harden. And I wouldn't be shocked just on talent and versatility and length alone if this OKC team makes that kind of a run. I, I think they are just phenomenally talented. I think SGA is clearly been one of the three or four best players in the league this season. You need that to make a deep playoff run. You need one of those super-duper star type of guys. Um, I think the way that they play small is actually a problem for most other teams. I know a lot of people were clamoring for them to get a big this week, um, but I, I'm not sure I would want them to sacrifice that strength of the speed and the athleticism and the switchability that they have. And I actually really like the Hayward trade for them. They didn't they didn't really have to give up much. Davis Bertans obviously wasn't playing for them. I don't think they had to give up a pick for Hayward. Um, health is always a big question for him, but if he is available and he's your fourth or fifth option, he's, he's kind of a connector slash glue, glue guy. Um, he could be phenomenal in that role. I think he's been miscast for, you know, most of the time since he left Utah, and I think he's settled into a place that could be really good for him. So I like OKC's chances. I I think it's a fool's errand to try and predict the West Um, this season. There are just so many good teams, um, and teams that aren't in that top four that, like, if Luca got super hot in the first round and they upset one of those top four teams, I don't think anybody would be shocked. I mean, the, the unpredictability in that conference right now is just crazy. Well, that's one area I wanted to go because I watched a little bit of that Minnesota-Milwaukee game last night, and I was just watching Gobert and Towns and Edwards and Conley and the way they move as a group and the rebounding and the defense, and they overwhelmed Milwaukee. They, they just flat-out overwhelmed them almost from the jump and i'm really curious with this minnesota team if anthony edwards can be that specialty scoring superstar you can get the defense of rudy gobert and towns can be the unstoppable stretch do you think minnesota it could be their year yeah to throw them into the mix too i mean they're they're one of those top four teams fighting for the number one seed right now i i saw a stat from i think it was one of the official nba accounts a couple days ago when all four of those teams were tied for first i think it was the thunder the clippers the nuggets and the wolves and it said it was the latest in an nba season that four teams were tied for first in the conference um so i you know i i would say any of those four teams being in the finals if i looked up in june and they're there i wouldn't be shocked and that includes minnesota you mentioned a lot of the things that make them make them interesting um i you know of of all those things the one i'm maybe least worried about is anthony edwards playing like a superstar in the playoffs i mean his his numbers so far and granted he's only played in two series but he's averaging 28 points, five rebounds, four assists, a steal and a half, and a block and a half in the playoffs. And and last year against the Nuggets, he just there were 
the extended stretches where he looked completely unstoppable. Um, so I think you, you might even be safe to check that box. They have the, the guy who can get to supernova level in the playoffs. And then the supporting cast that they've surrounded him with is, is just fits together so well. There's so much length. You mentioned Townsend Gobert, but Jaden McDaniels, I think, contributes to that too. And he wasn't even available for that series against the Nuggets. So they can switch all over the floor. Um, Mike Conley, who Jazz fans are obviously well acquainted with, is, is one of the best sort of floor general, table setter type point guards. And, you know, swapping him in for D'Angelo Russell, I think, was a landscape shifting move for the NBA last season. And, it, you know, he's obviously fit brilliantly there. Kyle Anderson hasn't been as good this season, but I like him too. Um, they've, they've just got a bunch of length, a bunch of playmaking, the best defensive player in the league. There, there's a lot of boxes that they check too. With the recent hot streak they're on and their additions at the trade deadline, are we prepared to talk about the Knicks being a problem in the East too? Uh, yeah. I, I actually wrote an article yesterday in the wake of the deadline. I, I think they won trade season, um, and that's sort of a nebulous term. I extended it all the way back to the Ananobi trade. So they've picked up him um, and been absolutely dominant with him on the floor ever since he came over. His his defense, I think, has gotten most of the attention, and, and rightfully so. But I think the way that he plays offense um, and the way that he fits in with Brunson and Randall is just such a better fit than R.J. Barrett. Um, a reliable catch-and-shoot guy, a timely cutter, doesn't need to dominate the ball. So that alone was was huge, and I was almost ready to say they're, they're you know, close to a Tier 1 contender in the East even before yesterday, and I think they just knocked yesterday out of the park. There, there weren't any stars moved, and a lot of people are complaining about this deadline being a dud. But Alec Burks, I think, has quietly become one of the best reserve combo guards in the league over the last five or six years. Another guy that Jazz fans obviously know pretty well. Um, he is a, a very reliable three-point shooter, um, can create a little bit. He played some point guard the last time he was on the Knicks. So I think they replaced a lot of what they lost with quickly um, by getting Burks. And then Bogdanovich, I, we, we keep mentioning former Jazz I know, players it was here. a busy day for um, former Jazz players yesterday. Yeah. Um, just a phenomenal floor spacer, averaged over 20 points with the Pistons, shot over 40% from three. Another guy who, like Ananobi, I don't think is going to dominate the ball. Um, they've got ball dominance kind of wrapped up in Brunson and Randall, and everybody else I think is going to be willing and able to just sort of space the floor around him. And I, I think both of those guys fit just brilliantly there. And if they get Mitchell Robinson back, and it sounds like they might before the playoffs – um, they have an eight or nine man rotation that I think is, is up there with just about anybody in the East. And what has impressed me about New York all season, and especially after the Ananobi trade, they just play with a force and a tenacity that a lot of other teams don't have. Um, just completely overwhelmed the Nuggets in the game a few weeks ago, knocked them out within six minutes. Um, it, it was kind of like you described with the Timberwolves and the Bucks last night. Those teams that are big, physical and athletic um they they can be a problem for some of these more finesse teams and i think i think new york is going to be a problem in the playoffs hey andy just a really quick two-part question for me and and then i'm, I'm all done I, I was just sick about Joel Embiid and another meniscus and another 
surgery to try to clean it up. And he was on a crash course for a repeat MVP, and this one legitimate, like well-deserved. And he goes down with this meniscus. Uh, Two-part question. Number one, are are we potentially seeing him with his injuries slowing down after he comes back from this? And number two, whose race does it become now that he's out of the MVP race? Yeah, I first of all, I'll echo what you said about um, Embiid in the lead-up there. He was just phenomenal. And, and last season, I honestly didn't think there was a statistical argument for him to be the MVP. Um, but prior prior to him being injured this season, I, I think if I had a vote, I probably would have gone with him. The, the way he was scoring was just absurd. And I guess I would withhold my answer on, on the question about his long-term viability until I see him in action. Um, but we've seen We've seen meniscus stuff derail careers. I, I believe that was kind of the beginning of the end for Brandon Roy all those years ago. Don't oh, quote yeah. me on that. I'm going to have to look that up when we get off the phone. But, um, you know, repeated knee injuries are scary. They're they're especially scary for a guy as big as Joel Embiid. Uh, I, you know, shortly after that injury happened, I was Googling pictures of him at Kansas because I just remembered him being this, you know, slender, kind of more of like a Rudy Gobert type frame. And I don't know if he can get back to that kind of frame. Maybe he doesn't even need to. But even if he lost 20, 30 pounds, maybe maybe does that make his career last a little bit longer? Um, so, again, I, I think we'll kind of have to see how it goes when he gets back. But there are certainly – I mean, there, there's been red flags health-wise throughout his career. They're, they're maybe waving a little bit more aggressively now. Um, but but I guess we'll see. We'll, we'll see if he comes back this season, which I think the vagueness of Philadelphia on that has been kind of frustrating. Um, mm-hmm. I guess if there is a chance, you want to leave that door open. But if, but if there's also a chance of him aggravating stuff, I think you need to be super cautious with it. So I'll withhold on that one. And then on the MVP race, now that he's gone, I think the statistical juggernaut once again is Jokic. Um, just not—I mean, I, I watched him last night and thought he played really poorly for most of the game, and then you look at the box score and he winds up with twenty-six, twelve, and nine or something mm-hmm. like that, and that's just become the norm for him. But I do think there will be a case for Shea Gilgis Alexander, especially if they finish first. If the Thunder finish first. He's averaging, you know, 32 points a game. He leads the league in steals. You know, he's leading the second youngest roster in the league to first place in the West. There's going to be a loud and, and probably justified call for him to have a shot at it. All right. Andy, always a pleasure to catch up with you, man. Uh, thanks for your breakdown, as always. Thanks for the insight, and we'll uh, look forward to catching up with you again here soon. Love your work. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. There he is, Andy Bailey, right here on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Andy's been a good friend of ours for a long time. He's been really kind to come on and help us out. Uh, again, you can catch him on Bleacher Report as an NBA writer.